Good to see you guys. So we're in the book of Romans. I've been working through this for a while. Before we get into this, I gotta tell you a funny story. So I took, my wife and I, we took a couple of weeks off. We were gonna go down to Florida. Elsa kind of thwarted those plans. So we just kind of stayed around here and did some things locally. And one day, well, we actually took two days and we went up to Kings Island, our first time ever going there. Anyone ever been to Kings Island? That was fun. So if you're young in here, let me tell you something about getting old that, that kind of sucks. One, um, roller coasters aren't, aren't as cool as they used to be. That's, that's the first one, especially wooden roller coasters. I think those things are designed to give you neurological damage. Uh, so those aren't as fun. And then the other thing that's not as fun is when you get older, you get, <laughs> maybe this is just me, you get really uh, agitated at how much like theme park food is. And, and when you have to pay $50 for like microwavable pizza for your family, I'm like, what? this is crazy. Um, so, so let me tell you what happened. These, this is gonna make sense. So we're getting towards the end of our day at Kings Island. We've ridden all kinds of roller coasters. I'm worn out. We did the water park. I'm worn out. And we're just kind of like, you know, I'm barely walking at this point. And there's one ride that we missed. I don't know how, uh, the beast. And so... My nine-year-old's like, dad, the beast. And my 12-year-old's like, the beast. And I'm like, oh, the beast. And um, <laughs> so we get on this wooden roller coaster, you know, like 30 minutes before the park closes. And, and it's brutal, right? It's terrifying. Uh, you, you know, you, you feel like you can't even see straight when you get off. And so we get off of it and my kids are like, yeah, let's do it again. And I'm over like this. And my wife didn't ride it. You know, she had something to do, or oh, I gotta use the restroom. And I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm sitting over here at the entrance of the beast after we wrote it, and I'm, I'm about to throw up. And I'm, I'm nauseous, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then Alicia, my wife, walks up to me, and she goes, hey, I just went and bought these fried dough balls, and I can't eat them. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, how much you pay for the dough balls? <laughs> And it was some just exorbitant amount of money for these dough balls. And so because I'm prideful and cheap, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna let Kings Island get the best of me. She didn't wanna eat them. So I'm cramming these dough balls in my mouth, <laughs> sitting there shoving these raw cookie dough balls in my mouth after riding the beast. And my kids wouldn't eat the dough balls, it was just me. And um, I ate all of them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right, I'm a man. Um, <laughs> And it was probably the worst decision I ever made. It was terrible. <laughs> Went home, we're laying in the hotel, and I'm just, I'm laying just like this, saying, God, how did this happen? <laughs> we are, uh... <laughs> Isaac did do a fantastic job. He was in the second half. There's, I, I'm learning there's an underground Isaac fan base here. <laughs> he did the second, uh, the second half of chapter 15, did a really good job with it. In your first reading of the second half of chapter 15, you're, you kind of wonder, what am I gonna pull from this? It's at the end of this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Rome. It's, it's kind of a basically like blessings to you guys, hope to see you soon, kind of wrapping stuff up. But what you get and what he, he so very um, intelligently pulled from this second half is he really focused on this one line where Paul writes, my purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering. Now, what Paul is saying is, my goal in life is to make sure that people go to heaven. That's what he's saying. 
My goal in life as a follower of Jesus is to make sure that as many people as possible know who Jesus is. And as Christians, we should all share in that purpose. And that's kind of what Isaac challenged us with. I was watching it online and, and I even felt really compelled. And I'm like, wow, man, that really challenges me as a pastor. Like, am I still going out advancing the kingdom of God? Because that's what we're called to do. It's not that we're not, uh, there's anything wrong with being a good parent or a good employee or a good business. Those are fine. But first and foremost, our calling is to advance God's kingdom, our purpose, right? So what I'm gonna do is we close out the book of Romans this weekend. We'll get through chapter 16 pretty quick. Um, Paul did a, a wonderful job of, of mentioning every person that I cannot pronounce their name. So I'm, I'm probably gonna mess that up. So if you're a Greek scholar in here, my apologies. But what we're gonna talk about is this, that when we make our lives not about us, which is very countercultural in the United States right now, when we choose to not make our life about us, but make our life all about Jesus, here's the irony. God in turn makes it all about us. <laughs> That's what happens. When we give our life to God, when we submit, when we, when we lay it all down for his glory, for his honor, right, for him, this little short life that we have, if it's all about him, he makes eternity all about us. That's what we're gonna talk about, okay? Simple stuff. Uh, but we'll get there at the end and um, we'll see what happens, okay? All right? So you should have got notes, handouts when you came in. Everything should be in there. Everything should be on the screens. Um, if you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, everything will be on there. If you have a Bible, the sixth book of the New Testament, the very last chapter, we're gonna read a lot of Greek and Roman names and I have tried to listen to them. I tried to write them out phonetically. I try, I have a degree in English and this is when it comes back to get you because people go, you should be able to pronounce everything. I can't. And these words, there's some tough ones. So be gracious with me today. So I'm gonna pray, we'll work through this and um, next week we'll start the book of Nehemiah. That's a book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, all right? Cool, all right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you so much. God, I'm thank you that we could come into this place and thank you that we have the freedom, Lord, to, to do what we're about to do. God, I pray, Lord, that your word, um, I pray that it really touches our hearts today, God. I pray, Lord, that something is said. If, there, if there's anyone in here, God, that is not a believer, I am so happy they're here. I pray that something that comes out of my mouth sparks an interest in them. If there are believers in here, God, that maybe have taken our relationship with you for granted, I pray that that can be renewed today. We pray for every church in our city, God. We pray for all of our different uh, campuses, Lord. We pray for the great nonprofits we get to work with, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you receive all the credit and honor today. And that, Father, that we're blessed, God, by your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, guys, that's the name of the game in this first part. So I'm gonna mess some words up. Here we go. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matters she may require for your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and me also. Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, it's a married couple, my co-workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinatus, who is, in the first, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. 
Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliitis, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ. My dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and also his mother and mine. Greet, I'm not even gonna try that one, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet, another one I'm not gonna try, Julia, Nereus and his sister Olympus and all the saints, and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. All right, made it through there. So if you have not been here, let me tell you just a little bit about Paul. Paul would travel around, he would start churches, he would get involved, he would lead the leaders of those churches, and he intentionally created a culture within churches that was diverse. It looked like the area, the community that they were in. If the community was diverse, the church should be diverse, okay? So we see at the end of the book of Romans, not only, we're gonna see here in a second, we'll talk about it, not only is it a very diverse group of people, we see that Paul loved them. He mentions 28 people in the end of chapter 16, not including all the households and different churches that he mentions. Paul loved his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the first one he mentions is a woman. Now in 2021, we're not like shocked by women in prominent positions. We have a female vice president, the CEO of In-N-Out is a woman. That's the greatest burger in the world. We have all kinds of different leaders and people in prominent positions who are women. This isn't a big shock to us. 70% of the volunteers that do things at this church are women. I have two daughters and I hope they grow up to do amazing things in the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't shock us nowadays. But 2,000 years ago, for women to be in prominent positions of leadership was pretty counterculture. That was pretty rare. And so we learn about a woman named Phoebe. Phoebe was the one who actually carried the book of Romans to the Romans. She was the one that, that brought it. She was the courier of that. A very successful businesswoman. She was not only a servant in the church, she was a high-level leader in the church. She lived in an area called Corinth, not too far from this. And so her being mentioned shows us some very important things. Not only were women pivotal at the foundation of the church when it started, women are still to be pivotal in the development of the Christian church today. It's a good thing. The Bible is very progressive when it comes to women. Not just women, though. Look how diverse these group of people are that, that Paul talks to. You had men and women, of course. You had married people. You had single people. You had slaves. That would be the poorest of the poor. You had Aristobulus, who was the grandson of the king of the Jews, Herod. So you had royalty, rich royalty. You had Narcissus, who was an influencer to the emperor, the Caesar, Nero. So you had people connected to the Roman government. You had Rufus. This is the one that I think is the most interesting. 
When you read the Bible in the book of Matthew when Jesus is carrying his cross up to be crucified, he cannot carry it anymore. The Roman soldiers see a black Jew, he was an African Jew named Simon. And they said, you, get over here and help this man carry his cross. And that's really all we know about Simon until you get into the book of Romans and you find out that Simon's son, so Simon obviously became a follower of Jesus and his son became a leader in the early church. Isn't that neat? You see three Jewish people mentioned. You see two people that saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, a very mixed bag of individuals. So what we learn from this is the church should be diverse. And we need to think about this and intentionally build a diverse group of people. Now, when we build a diverse group of people, we need to make sure that we do this with integrity and sensitivity. When I say integrity, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be rude here for a second, but I'm gonna tell you something that, that really bothered me in the last year or so. I got so sick of seeing white pastors taking pictures with their one black friend saying, look, I'm not racist. Uh, as a white middle-aged man, I'm gonna speak for the black community for a second. It was patronizing and a little offensive. It was kind of rude and I got sick of seeing the Christian church do it. If you're going to have a diverse church, have it all the time, not just when there's racial tension in the world around you, right? Hey, there's other people that were upset by that. Good, good, good. So we need to have integrity when we make things diverse. And how do you do that? Here's how you do it. It's gonna blow your mind. Just talk to people different than you. And listen, whenever you hear people say we're all the same, that's bull crap. We're not all the same. Sorry for my language today. That, is that language? Anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. But, but it, is, it is what makes humanity beautiful is that we're all different. And people come from different backgrounds and different cultures and have different experiences. And that's what makes conversation fun. If we were all the same, whenever people say, well, I don't see color, I do. And I think it's really, really cool, right? And so you should see it and have questions and conversations with people. And it's really, really fun to get to know people that have different experiences than you. We need to be careful not to be offensive when we do that. Here's the other thing. And we need to be careful not to get so offended. We get offended by everything, don't we? We get offended for other people all the time. Like no one was talking to you. You don't need to be offended about it. So what we need to be is we need to be empathetic and we need to be inquisitive, which means we just ask questions. You know, people aren't gonna get offended if you ask about their culture. In fact, they'll probably be complimented by that. Really, you care about my culture. Awesome, I'd love to tell you about that. So anyways, needs to be diverse. So now let's talk about division. <laughs> Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teachings that you have learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. The report of your obedience, though, has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my coworker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, that's the guy that actually wrote the letter. Paul wrote the letter, but he's the one that wrote it down for him greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is the host to me, to the whole church, greets you. Aristus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus also greet you. 
Now, this is important. Look, we're gonna take a, a, a turn here. All of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16 is about unity and diversity, right? Very positive things. And then he wants to address the opposite of those positive things, divisiveness, division. That's negative, right? So here's what Paul was. Paul was a shepherd, not a literal shepherd watching over sheep. He was a pastoral figure, right, over a lot of pastors, but over a lot of people. And his job as a shepherd of people was to be a watchman, to watch out for anything that would come into the flock, right, and hurt them or deceive them or trick them. That, that's what my calling in life is to be as well. I don't know if you consider me your pastor or not, but my calling in life is to, is to be a shepherd, right? Not that I'm better than anyone else, but I'm called to dedicate my life to looking out for anything that can come in and hurt people that sit under my, my teaching. Now, what Paul understood and what all shepherds understand is there is only one way to deal with divisiveness or wolves. You have to identify them and you have to eliminate them from the flock. Now, I know that sounds cold, but I'm just gonna teach you the Bible today. Our main weapon against divisiveness is truth. The main weapon against lies is always the truth, and this is the truth. So when things like gossip and slander or bad theology start to creep, listen, I don't know all of you, but I love all of you. I know that sounds weird. We have a big church and I'm hyper-protective. In this church, before COVID, running 6,500 6, people, whatever it was, Every time someone would leave or if I hurt someone's feelings, even though it's a big church, it, it, it always bothers me. I'll just confess that to you because I care about you. In that same vein, if someone comes into this and they bring in gossip, slander, divisiveness, bad theology, it is my job to look at them and say, no, you are not welcome if you're going to divide us. It must be swiftly identified and sternly dealt with. In fact, the Bible says, avoid them. We have a problem a lot of times as Christians to flirt with people in situations that we are told to stay away from. And listen, I'm not talking about lost people. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people that, that come in and claim to know Jesus, but create division, I'm reading his words, and obstacles contrary to what this book says. And if people come in teaching things in the name of Christ, contrary to what this book says, the word says, avoid them. Now, we should pray for them because I don't want anyone to go to hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. We should pray for them. We should want the best for them, but they have to humble themselves, submit to this word, not create division, and then they're welcome in. So this is different from a lot of other sin. If you're in here and you're addicted to porn or you struggle with materialism or you struggle with alcohol or drugs, man, we can handle that. We can work with all that. You cannot work with a wolf. You cannot rationalize with a divisive, destructive person, right? They have one intent to hurt you and we just cannot deal with it. Now, some people say, Corey, that sounds really harsh. You mean some people aren't welcome? It's exactly right. If you come in the name of Jesus Christ but teach things contrary to this, no, you're not. You're not welcome. So that means that we must choose where we go. We must choose who influences us wisely. How do we do it? We use discernment from the word of God and by the Holy Spirit that God has placed in us. Sounds cold, I care about you. And I care about you so much that if anything contrary to this is speaking into your ear, I'm gonna do everything I can to remove that voice. Because I love you, right? Hey, thank you. Look at what the Bible says, right? Every parent should get this tattooed on your chest. 
So every time your kids leave the house, you just boom, look at it. The Bible says, that's probably not a good idea, but you know. Do not, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do when we pay this building off, which will be at the end of the year. I'm gonna go crazy on like those temporary tattoos and every lesson you guys can get them and you can just freak out your kids or something and put a scripture on your bicep or something. Isn't that a good idea? I just thought of that. It's good. Our accountant's somewhere going, that's not good. Anyways, do not be deceived, the Bible says. Look at this. Bad company corrupts good morals. How simple is that? Your grandmother told you that forever and she just ripped it off the Bible. You hang out with dirt bags, you're gonna turn into a dirt bag. You hang out with evil people, you're gonna get involved with evil things. If you hang out around gossip and slander and divisiveness and bad theology, you're gonna end up being lost. Because bad company corrupts good morals. It's very plain, very simple. Here's what's beautiful though. Paul loves his church. And I say this to you guys all the time. I always rant and rave about things that are going, going wrong, but this is a good church. You are a one wonderful group of people. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Rome. He goes, you guys are good. You're smarter than this. You can identify wolves. You guys have a good reputation. Everyone in the world knows how good of a church you are is what Paul is saying. But then he tells them why they're a good church. And this is important for us. Three things. They obey the word of God, they are wise to what is good, and they are innocent to what is evil. Do what the word tells us to do, gravitate towards good things, move away from evil things. It is that simple. And there is an innocence to evil that we as Christians should have. Listen, there is some knowledge that is not good for you. There are some things that you do not be exposed to. You should not be exposed to. We know this from Genesis chapter three. This is exactly what the devil did with Eve. Hey, do you know if you eat like that, you'll be more like God? Do you know he was not lying? What the devil meant is if you eat from that, you're going to understand not just the good, you're going to understand evil. We were exposed to something that we should have never been exposed to. And so there are some things that we need to be innocent of. Some darkness we don't need to be made aware of, right? That's what he's saying there. And then he says, Paul encourages them. He says, you guys need to hold on. Times were tough for Christians back then. Times are pretty tough for Christians right now, aren't they? Seems like the world is under the spell of Satan, doesn't it? But Paul says, hold on, because it's not always gonna be like that. I don't know if anyone else struggles with this. Right now in our current day and age, to be a Christian in the United States, one, it's really, really easy to get distracted really easy in the middle of COVID and elections and all news is slanted and everything is negative and we have so many voices coming at us all the time and we're watching YouTube while we're listening to something while we're driving our car and like we're so distracted. We got a million things going on and we forget what is important. The other thing that we can easily fall into is we can become disheartened. Been there, right? Last two years have been tough, man. You turn on the BBC or you turn on NPR, or you turn on you know, 99.7 or you listen to the radio for a little bit and you're like, man, we suck. People are awful right now. Not just here, everywhere, we're terrible. Things are falling apart and everything's awful. And you're like, God, what the heck? So what do we do in the middle of those times? This is simple too. Look at this, three more things. One, we have to lean on Jesus. Jesus, you knew all this was going to happen and you still have a plan. You gotta lean on that. 
We also need to lean on the word of God. Let me tell you something about this book. This is the reason I'm not an atheist. Let me tell you why I'm not an atheist. I'm not an atheist because whenever I have doubt, if I just do what this book tells me to do, it always works. You have dozens of authors over thousands of years compiling 66 books with no inconsistencies. That has to be miraculous. That has to be a miracle. And so if we will just do what the Bible tells us to do, it works, man. It works for your marriage. It works for your money. It works for your job. It works for your kids. It works. And then the last thing you need to remember is you need to remember that God never fails. We fail Whenever we try to take the steering wheel out of his hand, that's when we wreck the car. But if we will let him drive, God never brings us somewhere just to fail. He doesn't do that. That's just not how a good father works. Lean on Jesus, read the Bible, and know that God always comes through for you. And so Paul was, was writing this letter from Corinth to Rome. And after he says all this stuff, he says, hey, all, all your other homeboys and homegirls from, from Corinth, they wanna say hi to you as well. And so we know very little about these people that, that Paul mentions in this chapter, these 28 people. We know very, very little about them. But here's the thing. The people who started the church in the first century cared less about history books that they would be written in, and they were more concerned about the book of life, right? The Lamb's book of life that would record all their deeds, and if their name was in that book, it would be eternalized, right, For, forever. And so what that teaches us is this. We live in a culture right now that is concerned so much about how other people think about us. And as Christians, we need to think less or care less about how we go down in history books and we need to care more about the, 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 the book and the documentation that Christ is keeping about our life right now. That's the one that truly matters. Of course, we wanna have a good reputation in the world, right? But first and foremost, we need to make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. But do we care more about social media or do we care more about what Christ is saying about how I've lived, right? That's why that's important. Okay, last part. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known, made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of the faith among all of the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever, amen. So if you're new here and you don't know anything about Paul, let me tell you a little bit more about Paul. Before Paul became a follower of Jesus, his full-time gig was to travel from town to town, find followers of Jesus, drag them out on the street, and have them killed. He was a religious fanatic zealot, right? Wrong kind of religion, but, but he, would, he would pursue Christians and kill them. That's what he did. Paul had a miraculous conversion where Jesus showed up to him, knocked him on his butt, literally, said, you're gonna follow me, you're gonna suffer for me, you're gonna follow me, you're gonna suffer for me, you're gonna do what I, what I want you to do. He did and had this extreme conversion. And what's interesting, a guy whose gig was to go around hurting people, you see in chapter 16 just how much he loved people. Not only was he a follower of Christ, he loved the followers of Christ and even says several times, my goal is to make everyone a follower of Christ so I can spend eternity with everyone. 
knowing how powerful Paul's story is makes the book of Romans even that much more extraordinary. But here's the thing. Paul is not the focus. Paul is great, but he's not the focus. I don't know if heaven's gonna be like Disney World. Like there's a lot of people I wanna meet when I get to heaven. And I don't, you know, like when you go to Disney World and you wanna meet like Cinderella, but you have to wait in that long line, right? No one's ever done that? Yeah, I have girls. So, but even I get a little stoked. I'm like, that's Cinderella. Anyways, so <laughs> I don't know if heaven's gonna be like that. When I get up there, I wanna talk to Paul. I don't know if like, Everyone wants to talk to Paul. I guess we have eternity and I can come back later and see if the line has gotten shorter, but I wanna hang out with Paul a little bit. But as much as I wanna meet guys like Paul, he's not the focus of the Bible. I hate to break it to you. You're not the focus of the Bible. The focus of the Bible is God. It's all about him. It's about his plan. It's about his purpose. It's about his grace. It's about his power. It's about his deep love. We are minor characters we are invited into the story that is about God. And the book of Romans is no different. The book of Romans is about who God is. And if we read about who God is, then we find out who we are in him. We find out that our only hope is a relationship with him. We find out that our salvation comes through him. It's all about him. Simply put, this is a book about your creator. And what Paul says is his contribution, he contributed a lot of books of the Bible, but he's specifically talking about Romans. He said, this is a revelation. This is something being revealed to us. There was a mystery about God, but God has given me the, the information to kind of unfold this to you. That's what the book is. I get a kick out of people who are into like hidden things in the Bible. The point of the Bible isn't to hide anything from you. The point of the Bible is to reveal everything to you that we need to know. Revel the whole Bible is a revelation to let us know things that we didn't know without it. And though I never think we will know everything about God, I think that's one of the beauties of heaven is getting to know him for eternity. Paul is saying, I'm revealing some things to you about God. We are revealed that, that, that God has a mandate and a calling for all people to be in his family. The Bible says it's not God's will that any go to hell. People of all economic backgrounds and colors and nationalities and whatever your stories there, whatever they are, however many mistakes you've made, the Bible tells us that all are welcome at the table if you'll just humble yourself, build a relationship with him. That's what it's about. And to advance the obedience of the faith. What that means is this, that book gives us clear it gives us clear expectations. It gives us clear directives on how we are to live. The Bible is not ambiguous about what God expects out of us. Well, I don't know what God would do. Then read your Bible. It tells you exactly what he would do and it tells you what he wants you to do. Why is this important? Let me tell you why this is important. It's important because God has a better future for you than you have a future for you. God knows all people, loves all people, and wants something better than what you can even dream up for yourself. And if we will trust that, well, how can I trust it? God sent his only son to die for you. That demonstrates the fact that not only does he love you, that he takes it very, very seriously. Jeremiah says, I have better plans for you, things that you haven't even thought about yet. God has great things for us if we will just give our life to him. So he deserves all the credit. 
We live in a culture right now that is all about us getting the credit, isn't it? But we don't deserve any credit. God deserves all the credit. He was here before us, he's eternal. God is sovereign, which means nothing happens outside of his scope of understanding or knowledge. Jesus said every time a dead bird hits the earth, God knows it and sees it. Imagine how many birds are on planet earth. How many will, will, will die this year, right? And God knows when every single one of them hits the ground. The Bible says that. That God is all powerful, that he's loving. Not only that, God is the architect. Listen to this. God is the architect of a plan by which you and I, who have done evil things, he designed a plan where I can be reconciled to my creator. Think about that. Do you ever meditate on that? That you and I, despite how evil we have been, there is a plan that if we will just humble ourselves, you and I can have a relationship with God. Not just a relationship with him. The Bible takes it further. That we are adopted into his family. That I'm a son of God. That you're a daughter of God. Now listen, if you've always had a perfect family, I don't know if those really exist, but let's say you think you've had a perfect family, maybe that doesn't mean much to you. I'm not trying to cry the blues and I don't need your sympathetic emails. I have a father that hasn't spoken to me for 14 of my 41 years. And when I read in the Bible that I become a son of the heavenly father, I don't know if that means anything to any of you. It means a lot to me. I'm not a bastard child, right? I'm not alone. I have the God of the universe who looks and says, hey, you're my boy, you're my boy, right? You're made in my image. I love you, I wanna be with you. That means something to me. Not only that, not only are we adopted as his children, when we get to heaven, we are co-heirs with Christ. Let me tell you what that means. Blow your mind just a little bit. That when we get to heaven, it's not like the gates open up and Jesus says, here's a shovel, dig ditches for eternity for me. You're welcome. No, 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 no. When we get to heaven, it's like, like that scene on Willy Wonka, right? When he opens up the doors. I'm full of good analogies this weekend, guys. Gene Wilder's like, eat whatever you want. It's all edible, the grass, the flowers, the wallpaper, everything. It's all yours. Okay, it's not like that, but when we get to heaven, we don't become slaves. We become part owners. That's what the Bible says. Do you know what it says in the book of Revelation? It says that he creates a new heaven and a new earth and this big city comes down from the heavens, rests. Jesus says in the book of Matthew that in my father's home there are many mansions. If that weren't true, I wouldn't have told you. And then he later goes on to say that we become co-heirs. That when we get there, Jesus opens up the doors and says, it's yours. There's a new universe for you to explore. Do you know what it says in the book of Revelation? I used to think that we just hung out in this gold city for eternity. It says in Revelation that the gates of the city are open. That means that we can leave and we can go out into a new, a new world, a new solar system. And God says, it belongs to you. It's all yours. That we are co-heirs with Christ. Think about it. Not only do I get to know him, not only am I his son, I inherit his kingdom and so do you. That's what the word of God says. So Romans is a book that presents God. It presents the, the raw, unfiltered teachings and character of God. If you don't believe that, just read Romans 1 again. It reveals his ways. 
and his desire, God's desire to have a relationship with you. Listen, if if you're in this place and you're not a believer today, I don't know if you've ever heard this, you are the greatest masterpiece of the creator God. You're the only thing in the universe that looks like God. We're the only thing made in his image. You are special. You are like nothing else ever created, ever created. And God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. If you're in here and you're not a believer, but you're looking for the truth, I love that. I love it. That's where I was at 23 years old. And if we will search for the truth, if you are objectively looking for the answers, you're gonna find the answers. It's this. And when you read this and when you apply it to your life, it will yield better results than anything in the world that can offer you. If you will do these things, if you will dedicate your life to these teachings, you'll see better families, better marriages, you'll be happier, more content. All these things will change. But here's the caveat. Here's the the key. Here's here's the thing that makes this engine turn on. If we are going to see a change in us, we have to make it not about us. This goes against everything your culture tells you. Make it about you. Do you, right? It's all about you. Individualism. It is all about the individual. But if we're going to see a change in our life, Jesus said this, you have to lose your life in order to find it. You have to lose you. John the Baptist said, let me decrease and let you increase. Let you be magnified, bigger in my life. Less of me, more of you. And when we do that, we have to admit that we're not always in control. We have to admit that we're not all-knowing. He's all-knowing. I'm not all powerful, he's all powerful. I'm not good, he's good. Regardless if I always understand it, regardless if I feel it, his ways are good. His ways are true. So what we have to do is we don't need to live for our glory. We don't need to live for for ourselves. We don't need to live for our hopes and dreams and ambitions. And here's the big one. We need to, to not live for our affirmation. We are a culture addicted to affirmation. That's why we have social media. That's why we we are addicted to someone giving us a thumbs up. Please approve me. Please approve me. Please like me. Please love me. Please have some little smiley thing hugging a heart. Please do that for me. You have people who base their lives around this facade of affirmation. We're addicted to it. And we have missed it because the God of the universe says, I'm here, I know you, I understand you, I wanna be with you. And if we will lay down what we want, our desires, God says, I have something better for you. I have something better for you. So here's the thing, I said it at the very beginning, God has nothing to benefit from having a relationship with you. Did you know that? We cannot give God anything he doesn't already have. I've heard some bad theology taught in churches before where they say humans were created because God was lonely. Not true. God is a father, son, and spirit. He has perfect community without us. He doesn't need us. But here's the thing, that makes God even more special because even though God has nothing really to benefit from us, he still wants to be with us. And we are the ones who are blessed when we what? When we seek first his kingdom. Jesus said, if we will pursue him first, 
everything else will get taken care of. What that means is this, as Christians, we don't need to worry about the symptoms of sin. We just need to direct people to Jesus. We don't need to turn gay people straight or, or drunk people sober or, or broke people rich. That, that's not what we're talking. Just turn everyone to Jesus and he'll take care of it. Just make sure people's eyes are fixed on him. And as Jesus himself said, everything else will be worked out for you. If we would just turn eyes to him, we're so worried about passing laws or making sure that this is going on. Just direct people to the King of Kings. We can pass all the laws we want and make all the kinds of rules and regulations we want, but until the heart changes, nothing changes. And the only one that can change the heart is Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and Jesus says everything else will get taken care of. But put first things first. And when we objectively seek the truth, we, 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 start to, we start to understand what it truly means to live abundantly. When I say abundantly, I'm not talking about money there. That may be part of it, and God bless you if that's part of it, right? But we learn how to live really, truly in contentment and peace and joy and love, and God gives us wisdom and God gives us strength to even navigate the most difficult of times, right? When we seek the truth, we learn how to truly live. What does that mean? Listen, that means if we will make it less about us and if we will make it about him, we will truly start to understand what love is. What a twisted word this has become in our culture, right? And we don't know what true love is until we have a relationship with the God who is love. But when we will make it less about us and put our eyes on him, we truly feel what it's like to be accepted and loved and valued. We have peace. We have security, not because we have a quarter of a million dollars in the bank, which I don't, but, but we find security in the fact, not that we're rich or that we have a, a nice house or we live out in the country somewhere so you know, no Democrats will come within you know, 10 feet of us or whatever. Like, that's, not the, that's not the security we're talking about. That was facetiousness, by the way, guys. We have security in the fact that the God of the universe is on my side. That's what we have security in. We have hope. We have patience, fulfillment, self-control, contentment. We find out our proper identity. My value and worth is not in the fact that I'm a white American male. My value and worth comes in the fact that I am a son of God. That's my identity and we learn that in him. In God, we get forgiveness of sin. Do you know what the Bible says about the forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament? It says that God, when he forgives you of your sin, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Amen. Now, I don't know how that works when you live on a spherical planet, right? It, it is round, by the way. Anyways, I don't know how that works, like how you calculate east from west. Just offended someone there. But think about it in the scope of the universe. It's incalculable. What God is saying is when I forgive you, it is forgiven, it is gone. The Bible says that when you're forgiven, it's like he casts our sin into the deep sea, never to be seen again. That's what the Bible says. And listen, here's what happens when God forgives us of the evil we've done. You know what goes with the sin? Shame and guilt. God relieves us of that. I remember the first time I could go to bed at night not feeling like garbage because of how I lived. Being able to close my eyes and feel peace. 
because I was square with the man upstairs. No guilt, no shame. What happens is, is when we make it all about him, the Bible says that he is the truth. Jesus said that whatever comes out of my mouth is the truth. And when we make it all about the truth, when we make it all about Jesus, we're set free. We're liberated. And I'll say it again because it's worth saying that when we make it all about him for this little short life that we live, do you know what the Bible says about our life? A, it says we're not promised tomorrow. B, it says your life is like smoke. It comes out and dissipates, it's gone, it's short. You know, it's fascinating. Not only are, are we adopted as children of God when we make it all about him in this little bitty life that we live here, but if we will give him this little blip of time that we call our life here, if we make it about him for this little blip of time, Jesus makes it about us forever, forever. I'll sound cheesy with you for a second. And I hope this doesn't offend God. I don't, I don't think it does. I couldn't care less about streets of gold. I couldn't care less about pearly gates or I couldn't care less about the isotropic stones that make up the foundations of the city we're gonna live in for forever. I, I, I really couldn't care less about those things. When I think about heaven, I think about me and Jesus just walking around. I think about Jesus's arm around me I think about being able to actually see his face. I think about cutting up with him. I think about making him laugh and him making me laugh and, and just walking around with my creator. I think about asking him, God, can I see? Can I see what it was like when you, when you made the universe the first time? Can I see that? I think he'll be able to show me. I, I just wanna walk around with him. Jesus, why? Why snakes? Explain that to me. Like, well, why'd you do that, right? <laughs> Snakes and mosquitoes, I just don't get it, right? But he'll explain it to me and it'll make sense. It was good, right? But here's the thing. I wanna challenge you today. When you leave this place, however you need to do it, make yourself get smaller and make Jesus in your life become bigger. And if you do not know him, I, I guarantee you, coming from a guy that was addicted to drugs that tried to kill himself three times. It's me. When I finally said, God, this life is yours, it's not mine. It's when I lived for the first time. It's when I finally started to see. God bless me. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I tell it in next class, in my third suicide attempt, the reason I tried to kill myself for the third time is because my wife left me, Alicia, that, that I'm married to now. She wasn't a believer either. She was an atheist. And I gave my life to Christ fully. And I remember six months later, she gave her, her life to Christ fully. Now we live in a, in, a, in a pretty house in a nice neighborhood and I drive a Toyota, right? It never breaks down. <laughs> it's true. I have two beautiful kids, healthy kids. I get to stand in front of you today and teach the word of God. I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. And it's not all about the blessings, it's about our eternity. But what I'm saying is if you will just relent, if you will just say, man, God, it's yours, it's not mine. God will take you and he will do things with you that you could have never, ever imagined. Do things with you that will blow your mind. 
he will use you to make an impact. He will bless you, and through those blessings, he will bless those around you as well. And one day, I pray that you also get to stroll around and ask Jesus stupid questions and joke around with him. And I hope to get to see you there in eternity. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you don't have a relationship with God, I don't want you to feel weird. I don't want you to feel pressured. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. But up here on my right, your left, Pastor Savut will be up here. Interesting, Pastor Savut has an interesting story. Was not always a believer. First one in his family, I believe. If you have any questions about our faith, please come up here and talk to Savut. He'd love to talk with you. We have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, anything in your life, anything for someone else's life, please come up and get prayer. And then the last thing is all around this, this room, we have bread and wine on the tables. Communion represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And what we do every single weekend is we can go get the bread, get the juice, we can pray together, we can repent for our sin, and we can remember that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that if we will just believe on him, if we will just put him first in our life, we will never die, but have everlasting life with him forever. Let us decrease, let him increase. You're welcome to go get communion here in a moment. I wanna pray for you first. And if you don't mind coming back to your seat and Pastor Greg's gonna lead you in communion. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for our time together today. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room leaves this place feeling valued. I pray, Lord, that they have heard truth today, God, and that the truth resonates in their heart. I pray, Lord, that we can, we can become less and you can become more. I pray that we can look up, God, that we can, we can fixate our eyes on you. And if we will do that, God, all the pieces will fall into place. God, protect my friends in this room. Protect the people that can hear me speak right now, God, and bless them and their families, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys very much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.